Welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org or come join us at 10.30am every Sunday. Over to you, Dave. Shall I pray for you? Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this morning. It's just so good to come and worship together. And I just pray Dave would be anointed now by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us your word. That we may hear this morning what is on your heart, Jesus, for us. So come and bless him, touch him, anoint him in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me? Is that Nathan? Can you? Is that is that okay? Good. I can. I sound wonderful. It must be an auto tuner in my head. Uh, I spoke a few weeks ago about um, standing in the gap, uh, and I, I used the the illustration of Moses. And today I want to look at actually how Jesus stands in the gap and stood in the gap. Is my sound okay, Sarah? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to look at uh, the, the, one of my favourite passages in the, in the Bible, which is John 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, but first of all, I wanted to, as usual, as I always say when I speak, I want to put it into context because there is an important context of, uh, of this story and how there is a lead up to it. Um, so in chapter 7 you will see that there is, uh, uh, there is a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, we can think of all these kind of incidents in the, in the Bible as just a, like a, a little afterthought. It's like, you know, I, I remember uh, what we had a family party. It was just after I remember seeing um, Glastonbury on the TV. You know, and, and that has no connection to it. Whereas the Bible is, is structured so that there are very clear uh, understandings of the way that things are going. But because it is written to and by the Jewish mind, we don't quite understand that. So the Bible, particularly John, is looking at the cross. It is the passage of going from, uh, from the birth of Christ, particularly in the last few months of Jesus' life, but the ultimate is the cross, and that is what John is fixated about. That is what we should be encouraged and fixated about, the cross. And so the, the, the uh, Feast of, of Tabernacles was the, the Jewish festival to uh, remind the Jews of the deliverance of the, the Jewish people from Egypt, from the uh, slavery of sin, the slavery that they had in Egypt, and that they were then free. But when they went into the, 
into the desert. Uh, the desert was a really harsh place. They were very vulnerable. They were very, they had nothing. They had nowhere to, to stay. So uh, the Feast of, of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booze, the Jews, and they still do this today I believe, they, they build little shelters. And so they, and they would spend times in these little shelters which are really flimsy and that reminds them of the flimsiness of their existence in the desert. And that then God also did, um, supplied them with the manna from heaven and the quail, just to give them a little bit of difference to their uh, diet. And there's also the story uh, in, in the Old Testament of where the Jews were desperate for water and they went to uh, Moses and said, give us water. And he spoke to the rock, no, he hit the rock, and then God the second time said, speak to the rock, and again he hit the rock. Uh, he didn't do it correctly, but anyway, water came out. God provided regardless of, of what Moses uh, did right or did wrong. So, chapter 7 shows us uh, this, uh, this festival, uh, just before it, Jesus had been teaching, he had been uh, performing wonderful miracles uh, and his brothers, they still thought Jesus is some kind of religious celebrity. He's kind of like the top guy. He's gonna, we're going to see something great, but we, what we need to do is we need to put him on a pedestal. We need to get him really public so that people can see what he's saying because that will probably free us from the Romans. But Jesus had a completely different way of dealing with it. Jesus' plan was that he would keep things very low-key. The Jews, the, le the leaders, that's the Jews uh, and the Pharisees, they were planning to kill him. It, it, it's quite shocking. You read through chapter 7 and time again... The, that they were saying, you know, we, we, want, to, we want to capture him. Uh, and then others are saying, why have they not captured him and killed him? Because they, they knew that he was challenging the whole regime of, of what the Romans had and the Jewish um, leadership were saying as well. But the people loved to hear Jesus' teaching. It was a new teaching. It was a teaching that was in, infusing them. And he was then demonstrating his authority by, uh, by healing people and doing miracles. So there's this, this is the, this is the part of the context of, of, uh, of this. Uh, just before, even the Pharisees, they sent the, the, uh, the temple guards during the festival to try and arrest Jesus. And the, the temple guards, they went off to, to, to arrest him, but they were so spellbound by the wonders of Jesus' teaching, which was not in a sort of big public thing, but it was sort of quiet, in secret, in little corners he was teaching them. And they just couldn't arrest him. It wasn't, they, they were like, what are we arresting him for? But the Jewish leaders, when, when the, the guards came back, they said, 
so why haven't you arrested this, this guy? I said, well, his teaching is just so amazing. We, we don't want to arrest him, it's, it's just too much. And the Pharisees got really, really angry about this. They, again, they said, you know, you, there's a curse on you. There's a curse on these people who are listening to Jesus and following him. Uh, and they wanted to kill him. So I, what I'm trying to do is paint this picture of this real tension of uh, people uh, enjoying and loving what he was saying, but also the, the potential violence that the, the Jewish leaders and the guards wanted to inflict on Jesus. It's not just some kind of, yeah, it's a nice little story. No, there's a real jeopardy about what Jesus was doing. Um, so I think, I think I'll come to the point of reading it. Oh, let, let me just say one more thing. The, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was symbolic of the deliverance of God. It was symbolic of the provision of God. And that is why it is always leading up to the cross. All these different festivals, they lead to the cross. Even just before that, you had the Atonement Festival, which is about the sacrifice to make the sins of the people uh, clean. So, let's have a look at this, uh, this story of, of the woman at the uh, caught in adultery. Uh, so, Jesus has... You've got it on that. I can't. And normally I can read it, but there's too many pom poms I can't read. Uh, and I'm just, I'll blame them. Where are they? They should be back. I don't know. I've got to find it in my notes. Let me just read it from my Bible. I couldn't put it on there because otherwise it was going to fall over. Does anyone else have this as their favourite story in the Bible? Oh, Sarah does. Otherwise there's a, a resounding no. <laughs> so... Oh, there's one more, one more thing, one more point I wanted to make here. Just before the end of the feast, Jesus uh, stands up. He does make himself a public uh, figure. And he says, those who are thirsty, come. Come and drink, and I will give you water that, that uh, is there for eternal life. Is it up there? But it's, it's again this picture. It's there now, is it? Thank you. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And up to that time the Spirit had not yet being given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
So again, he's speaking to them, they're kind of confused, it's kind of riddles to them. But he knew that it was all part of the step by step by step pointing to the cross, what his death would do and what his uh, death would accomplish for the rest of humanity. And that's what it is. Meanwhile, the Pharisees, who are the, the religious leaders, the very legalistic uh, people, they want to uh, keep everything uh, under control. They want to keep the people under control. And they want, now they just want to challenge Jesus. They, they're looking for something to, uh, to uh, challenge him on. And it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. So he had been praying he had been con- conversing with his father. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he, was, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Jesus, they said, a teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they they slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. <clears throat> I just like the the way that Jesus makes himself vulnerable. You know, stooping down, being on the ground, you are making yourself extremely vulnerable. Jesus makes a, made himself vulnerable to us so that we could be set free from that, that sin. So he's just kind of play-acting. I always imagine him just, I don't know what he de- doodled on the floor, I don't think it really matters. You know, he could have been drawing anything. But the point is, he was just waiting and communicating with his father. What do I do? Waiting for people to react. So he is very vulnerable. As I said, that's why I painted the picture of the, of the violence that is there in the background. They could have come in at that moment and grabbed him, and that was their plan, and killed him. But he did, they did not. Equally, they have asking this question of the, of the woman. And Jesus has got to give an answer that fulfills the, the law, but he also... Uh, so that's why they're trying to trick him. So what he, what he says is, 
though first person who is without sin pick up the stone and you throw that. So he's not changing the law. He's not saying, I'm doing away with it. He's just saying, yeah. Who is the one? Who are you? Find me someone who is perfect. Find me someone who has done nothing wrong. You can throw the stone at that person. He knows that he is the one that is perfect. You see, his destiny, he has known his destiny for eternity. He knows where he's going. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he is the anointed one. But he is the one who doesn't condemn this woman. And, he, and they, just are con, they are convicted of the fact that they are also sinful and could not stone this, this woman. There's also the fact that the, the law says that uh, the, the people, they should have brought the man and the woman to, to uh, account for this, this sin that they had done. But no, they just bring the woman to it, to him. So again, they're breaking the law. What, uh, what Jesus says at the end, I think, uh, I, I looked at this over the last few days, and it was where he says, I do not condemn you. And I, I just thought I would, I would look up what does condemn mean? We kind of know it, what, it, what it means in our heads, but I, I, I found that the, the dictionary definition was really helpful to, to clarify it to me. It means complete disapproval. Somebody can say, I completely disapprove of you. But it also has another meaning, which is that there would be a punishment for what someone has dead, done. And that punishment generally talks about death. So there's this very, very strong word that Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I don't come and uh, speak disapproval to you. I don't come now and bring punishment to you. But he says, leave your life of sin. Because again, he's looking to the cross. He knows what he's going to do. And then we have that, that scripture. Can I have the, the Romans scripture, please? This, this we know, if you've been a Christian a while, we will know this so well. Therefore, this is in Romans 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus has has set us free. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment and there is no disapproval. And I, I, I had never linked these two things together before until I uh, prepared this today. And I thought it was just a wonderful thing to have, to see how Jesus shows that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus.
that he does not show disapproval. He makes himself vulnerable against the the people who are shouting and trying to bring people down. So that is how Jesus stands in the gap. That is the, the way that he demonstrates that he is the Messiah, by standing in the gap. Not just by, by drawing in the, in, in the dirt, but actually demonstrating his compassion, his love and his mercy for mankind. And I think that is worthy of praise. But that, there is no condemnation. So when we do get those, those words, those sense in our, in our, in our head, uh, or people speak to us and say, yeah, you've done this, I show you disapproval for this, then you can go back to this passage and say, there is no condemnation. It says so in Romans. And also Jesus demonstrated that. Even a woman who was caught in adultery, he says, I'm not doing that, but leave your life of sin. So it's not a, yeah, get out of jail free, or get out of punishment a free card, there is an action that we have to take. That we say, okay, Lord, I, I am leaving my life of sin. I am coming to you, but I can see that you have paid the price. You are the one who's taken the punishment that I should have had. And Jesus is the one who also has taken the abuse that we maybe deserved or didn't. He has taken that all on himself and we are therefore free from that condemnation. And I, what I would challenge you on this morning is, is how we apply that, how we act our lives out in that way. Uh, some good friends of ours were struggling with, uh, with issues with one of their, their children and they had clearly done something wrong. And they wanted to punish them. And I thought, no, this is... There have got to be consequences for things that we do wrong. Yes, clearly. But how do you act towards people, towards your children, or towards people in your, uh, that you work with? And that's where we need to look at Jesus. How would he handle these things? Would he show disapproval? Would he inflict punishment? Sometimes you've got to say to somebody, this is wrong. I'm not saying, as I say, this is not a get out of jail free card. You've got to be clear. But it has got to come from a heart that already knows this. A heart that knows forgiveness and this heart that is full of mercy and grace because Jesus has stood in the gap for us. We can stand in the gap for others. So there are tensions about these things. It's not always easy to get the right balance, but dealing with people, deal with them on your knees, remembering how would Jesus deal with this. You have to speak the truth, but don't pull someone down for the sake of it. Don't speak that disapproval and don't bring in an unfair punishment to people. Be full of grace 
and you will succeed more by doing that than, than by uh, harsh words and punishment. <laughs>